actually still own a mechanical watch? Rebecca, who her phone is actually two cans tied to a string, so um, it's not surprising. I, uh, I was reading this morning that um, um, if you go back uh, a few years, in, in the year 1960, uh, 90% of watches sold in the world came from, anybody know what country? Switzerland. That's right. Um, like 95% of the profits for watch sales uh, went to one country, which was Switzerland, right? Um, I think that and army knives, uh, and they, they'd cornered the market on both. And actually, that was true all the way up until 1979, um, between 1979 and 1981, uh, I, I forget the exact number. I'm sorry. I'm, this, this is something I just read this morning, um, that the, uh, the Swiss watch making and sales industry disintegrated, and millions of watchmakers went from being employed to being unemployed. Um, and it was the, it was one thing that made it happen. I, now let's ask this one. Does anybody know what happened? Seiko. Not the digital watch, not say, actually Seiko happened. What happened is Seiko came along and they bought, and Steve is old enough to know, quartz. Quartz movement is a process by which a battery vibrates a tiny little quartz crystal and it allows a second hand to jump in a watch. And that's it. Um, the invention of quartz, because like for centuries, Swiss watchmakers had refined the process of mechanical watches. And they had invented a thing called the self-winding watch, where you could carry it. And as long as you carried your watch around, it would wind itself. Um, and they had, you know, like made it so that you no longer had to clean watches the way you used to. I actually have a watch that my wife gave me. And it was, it was a mechanical watch, and, and I cracked the glass. Um, had she known me now, she would know it is a terrible idea to give me something made of glass that I carry around. Because about five minutes after the glass cracked, you know what happened? The watch stopped working. You know why? Because mechanical watches need to be clean. And if any impurity gets in, they stop working. And that watch, I had it cleaned. I had the glass replaced. And I carried it around for another year until I broke it again. And now it is in a jar in my living room, um, no longer working. And nobody will fix it, which is depressing because I would love to have a watch to break. Um, but the thing with the mechanical watches is they stopped working if they got dirty. And the Swiss developed a process to make it so they needed less cleaning. And they invented waterproofing. And they invented a bunch of other things. And when a fellow came along and said, this quartz watch thing is the next big deal, the watchmakers looked and said, no. We have spent forever perfecting mechanical watches. This is the only kind of watch that exists. And then Seiko came along and bought the technology. And all of a sudden, Swiss watchmaking was gone. Right? Like it disintegrated. Because they looked to the future and they could not change. They said, this is what we do well. We're not changing. Um, interestingly enough, the man who invented the quartz watch is from Switzerland. <laughs> 
Um, the answer came from within, and they refused to listen. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, um, and we're just going to do the first little bit of the chapter. Acts chapter 2 is the story of Pentecost. It is where the old way of doing things ends, and the new way of doing things begins, right? Now, here's what's challenging. What's challenging is the new way doesn't make that much sense to anybody who's familiar with the old way. It is really easy to say, but this is the way we've always done it, and ignore the fact that the new way was the plan, and it is the future. It is where we live now. The rest of the book of Acts is the new way personified. Um, the church had a, I, I forget, it was a like 120 people gathered at that point. Even though 500 people had seen Christ risen, by the way, um, and they stayed and they prayed and they picked new leaders and they waited. They flipped a coin to decide Matthias would be the next leader, right? The replacement for Judas. They flipped a coin because that's how you used to make decisions in the Old Testament. And then the Holy Spirit comes and the new decisions are done. Decisions are made the new way. Like the new way is about to happen. And so, as we dive into the text, um, we're actually not going to start in Acts because, uh, wow, am I going to do this series so far? We're talking about the church. Uh, we've been talking about the church for a few weeks, what its purpose is, what its mission is, what we are here for, what it looks like. And now we're going to do the book of Acts because it makes sense to start with book one. This is the history of the church. This is what we are in the earliest form. Um, and we're going to see how it develops. So this is the sundial version of what we have today, ideally. But there are a lot of lessons to learn from, like, this time in the church's history. See all the church-related, time-related verbiage I'm working in? I'm, I'm trying real hard here. Um, just give me a second. Um, and so we're going to look at the advent of the Spirit. But before we do that, we're going to turn back our watches and flip back our calendars to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet from the Old Testament, and actually his book is weird, like straight up weird. It is a difficult book. It is so difficult that ancient Jewish men were not allowed to read it until they reached a certain age because it was confusing and it was hard. Um, but there's some awesome stuff in there. And we're going to look at two passages, right? The first one is Ezekiel 36. Um, now, at the time of its writing, um, Ezekiel was in Babylon, and so the people of Israel were in Babylon, right? Like, they're in captivity. They are no longer a nation. They have been cast out of God's presence because they are spiritually dead, right? Because they have no ability to obey God. They've forgotten his ways. They've rebelled against him. And then I think the last straw was they made a treaty with a foreign nation to help them fight against Babylon, and God said, you know what, that's it. If you're going to rely on Egypt, the guys who made you slaves, before you rely on me, we're just done here. And so the people of Israel were brought away into captivity. Um, they were conquered by Babylon. They were dragged off. And then Ezekiel is one of the prophets during this period. I do not. Oh, I do have a pair of glasses. I could actually read that. I was about to hold this up to my face. Um, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. Now, 
pay attention to this because this is one of those weird examples of a prophecy that has a double fulfillment. Okay? Now, the people in captivity would hear Ezekiel and they'd be like, heck yeah, let's go home. Right? Babylon is crummy. I don't want to live here. Let's go home. All of the lands they've been scattered to, you'll bring them back? Let's do this thing. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm just going to say it. This passage gives me chills every time I read it out loud, which is why I quote it a lot because I love it. Um, I am not only going to bring you back, I'm going to wash away all of the garbage you have picked up. All of the filth, all the dirtiness, all the sin, all the brokenness, the way your thoughts turn the wrong way, all of it. And I'm going to reach inside you and I'm going to take out the core of who you are that's broken and I'm going to replace it with genuine quartz movement. You'll never have to worry about all of this work, all of this mechanical pursuit of religion that was before because now it'll be inside you and it'll move naturally and smoothly. And as long as you keep it charged up, it'll go. So I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I'll put my spirit inside you. Um, I will remove from them uh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanliness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. Now, this is a short little chunk of text in the middle of um, a larger section But I am throwing it out there because this is one of those texts that is clearly talking about new life in the spirit, right? It is talking about God reaching inside us, taking something that is broken, that is fundamentally not the way it's supposed to be, and replacing it with something brand spanking new. So that is Ezekiel 36. This is pointing forward to the church. It is pointing forward to something that God is going to do that is huge, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So now we're going to jump to Ezekiel 37, next chapter, right? Same sort of working theme for the ancient Jews. They would have read this and they would have been like, we're going home. All of these prophecies are about us going home, about us being made right, about God redeeming our nation. Um, And so we see, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. So Ezekiel has a vision, right? Whether he physically was carried there by the Holy Spirit or what, he is having a moment where the Spirit is moving. And it was full of bones. Um, I heard one preacher call this an ossuary. Uh, that may or may not be accurate. It may be the site of a great battle where people were slaughtered and left to lay, right? Because cleaning up dead bodies is not a very fun task, and it's a whole lot easier to walk away. Um, however... For ancient Jews, they would do this thing where they would bury a body, and they would wait about two years. They would spice it like crazy, cover it in all kinds of oils and spices and stuff like that, and let it rot in the tomb. And then a couple years later, when all the grossness is over, they would go open the tomb, grab the bones, put them in an ossuary, a box, and then they put that box somewhere. You know why they do that? 
because tombs were expensive. There weren't that many caves around, right? And so if you were going to have a tomb in a rocky, mountainous area, you had to go and chip a tomb out of a wall. And so you don't want to use that thing once forever. So this way you basically rented your gravesite for a couple of years, and then they'd move you into a box and stick you somewhere else. Um, or they would display or whatever. So in this case, these are bones out there. They are bones where they are visible. They are bones possibly on display, possibly a bunch of other stuff. We don't really know. But we do know that Ezekiel finds himself in a valley full of bones. Look at the bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? So looking around at the bones everywhere, can these things come back to life? Right? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now this is a very political answer because it is no, but I'm sure you're going to tell me I'm wrong. Right? Can these bones come back to life? I mean, we don't generally find, I mean, we live in Montana, so you do find bones, right? Is there anybody in the room that has not ever just come across, like, rodent bones or deer bones or horse bones or, you know, dog bones or sheds? Sheds are bones, aren't they? Yeah. Some of you guys go out and look for them as a hobby. Um, do they come back to life generally? Not really. They're not reusable, right? This is a one-time use only. I mean, you feed them to your dog. Um, but God says, listen, can these dead bones, can these dead things come back to life? These dry bones. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And I cannot believe Rebecca didn't do this song. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on. Like the perfect song, especially if you've had a hard week. Um, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to you, these bones. I will, make a, I will make breath enter you. I get texts, by the way, as I'm talking, and that's really distracting. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was command, uh, commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm sorry, I jumped phrases without. Uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they might live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Now again, conquered nation right original audience is hearing this and what are they hearing our dead soldiers our slaughtered countrymen our vanquished people brought back to life god is going to give us new life as a nation and they're excited right that would be something to be excited about 
It will be something to be very excited about. God is going to restore us. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from, from them. I will go, I, excuse me, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. By the way, that repetition of phrase is on purpose. It is probably an indicator to the reader of Ezekiel that those two passages are related, right? And like, they sort of seem to be related, bringing dead bones back to life and giving people new hearts and new souls and everything else. I mean, they at least are tangentially connected. Um, and bring, them, uh, bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your land and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So, we're starting out in Ezekiel. What's going on? Ezekiel is telling the people of Israel... God is going to bring you back. And those dry, dead bones inside you, that spiritual emptiness, that disconnect from God, that hopelessness, that brokenness, I'm going to fix all of it. And not just fix it, I'm going to fix it big. It's not like the bones are going to get up and walk around like, like in a movie. You know, this is October. And so some of us are enjoying that genre of film, old 1950s movies where skeletons would walk because they were cheap. Um, it's not just that. It's not zombies like in, in, you know, in the popular movies and how. Like these are living, breathing, brand new people. Not just brand new people, but people equipped no longer with the mechanical movements of the old way. With the dead stone of the old way, but, but equipped with like quartz movement, right? Like new life. A spirit that moves in them in a new way. Like the brand new thing is coming it is night and day. Now, there are folks who will ultimately fight this, and we'll get to that. So, we jump forward about uh, five to six hundred years, okay? And we get to Acts 2. So, the disciples have been hanging out in, Israel, or in Jerusalem. They've picked a new leader, and they pray together constantly. Pray, 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 pray. Because prayer is always a precursor for the arrival of the Spirit. Got it? Like the people of Israel, the dry, dead bones, even they were saying, hey, we're spiritually dead, we're cut off, we have no hope, where are you, God? Right? Um, and so here we are. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, um, prophesize to the four winds, Right? Like, that's where Ezekiel's starting at, right? Like, prophesied to the four winds that you'll fill them up. Um, there's actually a great song. You should listen to it on your own, not right now. If I see headphones go in, you're in trouble. Um, Keith Green wrote a song, Rushing Wind, which I had never heard until Jess got me to listen to it. Um, and, and it's a reference to this, where, where the Holy Spirit fills us and brings us back to life. Um, blows out the dust within uh, you know, he comes and breathes his breath, breath upon us. Um, he makes us whole again. Like, 
Like the Holy Spirit is moving. And so they're there, and this rushing wind fills the house, and it is loud, and everybody knows it's there, and they're like, what? They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So now fire, when we see fire scripturally, right, um, fire is pretty much always an indication of the presence of God, right? In this case, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit filling this place and spreading out and resting on each of them. Um, There might be some element of like the 12 tribes of Israel and the Holy Spirit and all that, right? Like different, different interpreters will read that different ways. But one way or the other, the Holy Spirit is there, right? He's there like fire. Um, Fire in the Old Testament, like I said, presence of God, but also it's used to purify. Um, Fire is this powerful, holy presence. Um, And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit fills them up and they begin to speak in tongues. Now, we're going to have to disclaimer here. A lot of times when we say speak in other tongues, we think of like the thing you see on TV sometimes, you know, or like that they may be speaking some kind of nonsense. These are guys who are actually speaking and prophesying in human languages. It would be like if I were up here talking and I suddenly started speaking in Greek, um, which I assume happens sometimes because some of y'all look like I'm speaking Greek (laughs) half the time. Every once in a while, you've got to say something funny or try so that you can see if people are awake. Um, <laughs> um, and they separated and came on each of them, and the Holy Spirit filled them, and they began to speak um, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. So we witnessed this first miracle, and it is the Spirit filling them, and they begin to prophesy and speak and preach in languages they don't know. Um, there's a little bit of foreshadowing here because the Holy Spirit is going to take the church. He's going to take all of these guys. and He's going to take them everywhere. And they are going to preach to people who don't speak the common language, right? They're going to go everywhere. Um, some of these guys made it to India. Some of these guys made it to Europe. Some of them made it to North Africa. I mean, like they are going to go and spread the gospel. Um, and so the Spirit is on them. It fills them. This is the moment of dry bones, by the way. This is the moment of spiritually dead, the old mechanical adherence to religion. Flip a coin to figure out which way God is going to take us. And now God is going to take up residence inside them. Um, This is the most amazing reality in the scriptures. This is the completion of the movement where in the beginning when God created man, God was close to man and God would walk in the garden with Adam and they would spend time together and it was awesome because it was the way it was supposed to be. They were close, they were intimate, they were friends. And then Adam rebelled and suddenly there was distance and God went from over here or from here to here, right? And all of this distance happened because of sin, because man rebelled and God is holy And God's holiness destroys sin. And so man could not be in God's presence anymore. And whenever God would speak, earthquakes would happen. Moses went and talked to God face to face, or as close to face to face as you're going to get. And he comes back and he glows like a light bulb, right? Um, And, and, you know, there is, like you could approach God's presence on the Mount of Sinai. And when you did, you would step into his presence and immediately be destroyed by the holiness of God like and moving into his presence. God was 
very, very far away. But it was never the design. And so then in Christ, we see God step into the world and stand amongst his people as one of us. And all of a sudden, God could talk to a prostitute face to face and have a conversation. God could go to the tax collector and convince him to turn around and follow him. God could heal a leper by holding, you know, by reaching down and touching him. God could spit in the dirt or like in some guy's eye to make him see again, right? Like that's, that is a whole thing. The other side of that is that God being in our presence means that we could reach out and touch him. And then the cross happened. And finally, so like God goes from being here to here and in Christ to being like here, right? And then on Pentecost, this very, very moment, God goes from being here to being inside of us. Like intimacy with God begins here. God no longer needs you to flip a coin because he's not far away, right? You don't just ask Jesus face to face. You ask, you pray, you talk to God, and God says, all right, this is the way you go. Now, you've got to be careful with that because there are folks who will do that and, like, God's direction always matches what they want to do, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit is how God speaks to us. The counsel of our wise brothers is how God speaks to us. Um, the movement of the Spirit sometimes nudges us. And it does happen. There are moments where we'll turn a corner and we'll run into someone who needs to hear about Jesus and, like, we'll be right there. And I've talked to folks who've had that experience. I've had moments where, like, I was prepared to speak about something. And, and I was like, all right, I'm going to talk to this person about this thing. And I'm going to do this. And I hunted down all my scripture. And I was ready. And I had memorized and prepared. And I walked up in there. I'm like, hey, i got to have a conversation with you. You're like, actually, I've been looking for you. I need to ask you some questions. And they begin to ask about all the stuff I'd been studying and praying about, preparing to talk to them. Because... The Holy Spirit prepared me in the moment for what was going to happen, right? This is the reality of the Spirit. The Spirit nudges us when we're in sin. A lot of times you say, oh, man, God never talks to me. But God says, hey, you stay away from those websites. This is a problem. Well, but, you know, my conscience doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah, it does. The reality is that, like, if we ignore the basic ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, which begins with conviction, he'll keep reminding us, only we won't hear him as well, and eventually we won't hear him at all, right? That's like my wife. My wife will tell me when I'm doing something wrong, and if I ignore her long enough, she'll stop telling me. Then I'm in trouble. And so the Holy Spirit fills them. This moment when God steps into the hearts and minds of people. By the way, how is this possible? This is possible because Jesus Christ died for our sins. Because he cleaned us and made it possible for God to be with us and overcome our brokenness, our sinfulness, our filthiness. Like we're no longer incinerated by his holiness for being in his presence. We're instead cleaned. Um, Which is why Ezekiel said, I'll wash them with clean water, right? I'll cleanse them, and then I will be in them. I will be in them. I will be with them. Um, As a believer, you are never, ever, ever alone, and you're never far from God. It's just that the mechanical means of growing close to God no longer work. We're equipped with, like, quartz movement now. The mechanical means of, like, show up every Sunday. Is showing up every Sunday important? Yes. 
because it binds us as the body of Christ. It's something we're commanded to do. We fellowship and we grow like through this. But is it how we get close to God? No. We study and we read the word. Is reading the word how we get close to God? No. It's also not how you get to heaven. So those of you guys who have been showing up to church and reading the Bible to go to heaven, you're doing a lot more work than you need to because you don't need to wind the watch. The Holy Spirit is all the winding you need. Now, the trick there is you've got to be close to him, right? Because relationship works that way. And so as I sin and I rebel, the Holy Spirit lets me do what I want. And that works out badly because then all of a sudden I distance myself from God and I distance myself from God and I can die spiritually. Like I can, you know, break. So we go on. Now there, was, now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Does this sound familiar? Because I swear it seems like the previous passage was saying that God was going to gather people from all the nations together. And here they are, all gathered together. By the way, this is during a festival. And so people would have been traveling. If I'm not mistaken, it's the festival of the harvest. When everybody would gather up and they would celebrate God's blessing in the harvest. Um, which is exactly the opposite of how it works in Big Sandy, where the harvest happens, everybody goes their separate ways because they got too much work to do, right? Like, but these guys would gather up and they would worship the fact that, like, and thank God for the harvest that they received and, like, for the bounty and blessing that they're getting. And so they're gathered up to celebrate the harvest festivals um, right at the beginning of a great harvest that's going to happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts, not coincidentally, Right? Um, and so people from every nation are there, and God has begun to reach in and change things. Um, the Jews spread all over the world are brought back together to receive the Spirit, to re- receive Christ. Um, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. And thus the reason that the first miracle is a speaking in tongues is everybody's hearing their own language. A little bit of history... In the ancient world, everybody spoke Greek, right? But you didn't speak Greek all the time. You spoke Greek when you dealt with other people. And when you went home, you spoke whatever language it was you spoke at home, right? And so, like, right now, most of the world, like, has a large English-speaking population because all business is done in English. Um, But if you go to Japan, someone might speak English, but they don't speak it if they don't have to. That's the way it is in this setting. People are like, wait a minute, these guys are speaking, you know, Pig Latin. That's the one I speak. Or they're speaking, Pig Latin's not a real language, Latin or, you know, whatever. And they're like, wait, why are these people speaking our language? Why are they, um, why are they suddenly, you know, doing this at this hour? Like, what is going on? Um, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? So, real quick, this is a little like running into a crowd of rednecks. And them all speaking French. Not Creole. Like real French. Right? It's a little like picking up an old broken watch and discovering that it's got a satellite connection. Right? Um, Aren't they Galileans? Also, the other thing here is Galilean. There's a Galilean accent that makes it very difficult for them to speak certain languages. And the assumption, like most scholars will agree, like, wait a minute, they're speaking my language without an accent. How can this Galilean do this? They should sound like a hillbilly um, or at least be butchering it the way all Americans do other languages. Really? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, or Pontius and Asia, I'm sorry, my ancient words are bad, uh, Pamphylia, Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Foreshadowing. Because these guys are going to go all of these places and preach the gospel. Because all nations have been gathered together and they're about to be given a new heart next week in the sermon that Peter preaches, right? That I'm hopefully going to do justice to. Um, they're all about to hear the word, um, new hearts, new spirits, dry bones brought to life. The army is about to happen. And like, honestly, if you've ever dealt with someone truly broken, I, I swear I've spent time with people who are so lost and turned inward that it almost seems like it would be easier to put flesh on dry bones than to change their heart. But that's what's going to happen. God is about to bring the dry bones together. He's about to breathe life into dead men. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? However, some made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Um, by the way, the phrase there is new wine, which means sweet wine, because apparently wine gets less sweet the longer it's around. And so they're also wondering, like, hey, this is the wrong time of year to have sweet wine. How are these people? Like, they're obviously drunk early in the day. Um, they're making fun of them. Um, and it'll look that way. I think if we're led by the Spirit, there are going to be moments where it looks nuts. I, uh, I, one example that just comes to mind at the moment, my wife, uh, my wife got me to tithe when we got married. I'd never given money to a church before, and she, she said, this is what we do. We trust God with our money. I remember many years later after I'd really bought into this idea that, like, I give because this is what God calls me to do. And this isn't a giving sermon. I'm just using this as an example. Um, but I was talking to this woman. who was like, oh, and they were – I'm not sure if it's clear. Youth ministers don't make a lot of money. <laughs> At the time, I was a youth pastor. At the time, I, I believe this is during the era when we didn't heat our house and we wore sweaters to bed at night. And stocking caps. And I was in her very, very nice dining room. Um, very expensive home. Very well-off family. I'm not, that's not an issue to me. Um, I was there with a friend of mine, and we're talking to this gal who was volunteering with our youth ministry. And she said, oh, well, we give with our time. We don't, we don't give money to the church. I was like, okay. She said, well, do you people give money to the church? Well, like, yeah, I give, like, 11% of my income? I don't know, something like that. And she's like, what? You're there all the time. That's money they give you. How are you going to give it back? Well, that's what I believe God wants me to do, so I do it. Well, that's crazy. I give with my time, which isn't to knock on... I'm, hear me out. It's not about the giving. This is looking at somebody and saying, God called you to do this and you're doing it. Are you nuts? Right? God calls you to love your enemies. Are you nuts? God calls you to be patient with people who are obviously wrong. Are you nuts? God calls you to love people who are difficult. Are you nuts? The senior citizens have nothing to give you. Why would you go visit with them and pray with them? The 
you know, people on the other side of the world, who cares about them? They don't live here. Are you nuts? Like, the reality is following God should look a little insane. You know why? Because it's not the way of this world. Because the Holy Spirit fills us and leads us to be something different. Quartz movement. And all the folks wandering around with their mechanical movement are saying, are you people nuts? That'll never catch on. My challenge for you today, my question for you, my inquiry is, is the Holy Spirit in you? I mean, like, not are you speaking in tongues, are you rolling around in the aisles? We don't do a whole lot of that here. I'm not, like, like neither disparaging nor encouraging that conversation. Um, but you're spending time talking to God. Are you asking questions and listening to the answers? I was once, uh, when I quit drinking, and I was, there was a lot of other things wrong in my life, I spent a long period of time fasting and then confessing sins and going to people I'd wronged and trying to repay them like debts that I owed them or trying to make things right with people. Even people who had wronged me horribly and I gossiped about them afterwards, I went and I apologized to them. It was not a lot of fun. But I I felt closer to God then than I have ever in my life. And I'm driving to work and I'm doing about 90 and a 45. And... (laughs) I don't have my seatbelt on and anything else. And I used to drive really crazy. I drive bad now, but like then I was, I was, I was something. Um, and I was praying and I said, God, if there are sins I haven't seen, if there's anything that I'm doing that's consistently wicked and I'm blind to it, just show me. And as I'm praying this, the lights came on behind me. One of Jeremy's co-workers came to visit me and explained to me that, yeah, this. I mean, at the time, it was because I was drunk all the time and I was miserable, and I knew I could never commit suicide because that's a sin, which, think about it in a minute how messed up that is. But I figured if I got into a really bad car crash, that would take care of it. That's the truth. And I had quit all that, and I had started to become different, and I kept driving like crazy with my seatbelt off, hoping I would, like, which I did because I hoped I would get killed. But I kept doing it. And the Holy Spirit made it clear to me, hey, that's not who you are anymore. Had I ignored it, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit would have just kept saying it until I did. Is the Holy Spirit prompting you? Are you asking? Are you digging? Are you listening? And if it's nudging you now, what are you going to do different today? close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with the folks here and help them to pursue the Holy Spirit in their lives. Um, Just spiritual health and spiritual life. Bring them to read the Word, um, but not read it as a book, Lord God, not as winding the watch, but read it as a mirror that we look into when we say, you know, what is going on in my life? Am I growing? Am I becoming holy? Am I changing? Am I pursuing you? Am Am I becoming a man after God's own heart, like, like what is going on, Lord? And I pray that you would, those who feel challenged today, those who feel encouraged, those who feel um, pushed, that they would seek out folks to help them grow, that they would seek out accountability, not in themselves, um, but in mature brothers and mature sisters. I pray for your grace on us today. Help us to be people who, um, who are people of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.